This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Natasha Feroz and I'm joined by Katie Balls and Kate Andrews. Well, the inflation figures this morning show no sign of change, despite some analysts predicting it might drop a bit. Kate, were you surprised by this? And what will this mean for the Bank of England's next steps? I suppose it's always a bit shocking to see numbers so bad. Uh, the consensus was that the headline rate of inflation would fall slightly. I was, I suppose, less surprised, although still devastated to see that core inflation was still rising. I didn't see any reason that it wouldn't be because it excludes food and energy. And I think, well, there's so many takeaways from today. One is that uh, the collapse in energy prices really was masking all of the other price rises that were happening across the economy and all of those underlying inflationary pressures that are still very persistent. So last month, we knew the headline rate was going to fall because that increase in the energy price cap finally came out of the figures on the year. But the fact that it hasn't budged this month you know, really suggests that energy was, was covering up for a lot. And that rise to core inflation is devastating, really, because this suggests that a lot of these price hikes are getting baked in. I mean, inflation is going in the wrong direction. It's not just sticky. It's not just stubborn. It's not just not budging. Uh, it's, It's rising in the wrong direction when we look at core inflation. The bank is woeful. It has messed up every step of the way. And people are now feeling the pain of rising interest rates. They're feeling the pain of inflation because interest rates aren't doing as much as they once could have at earlier stages of this to help bring down inflation. They're still necessary, but they're not having their full impact. Um, And I think it's very likely that we'll get one tomorrow. On Thursday, uh, the bank sets out um, its, its updated base rate. I don't think many people are asking anymore if the bank might hold rates uh, as the Federal Reserve did last week. The question is how aggressively they might hike them. Katie, it is one of Rishi Sunak's flagship policies to try and reduce inflation. And when it came to fuel prices, they imposed radical changes to to help consumers. Do you think that they can do anything radical this time around? I think one of the many problems to Rishi Sunak right now is there's just not that many levers he can pull when it comes to mortgages, as we talked about earlier this week on this podcast, but also on the five priorities if we go back to them. So it's still the case, and Kate would know more than I do, you know, that things can improve as the rest of the year goes on in terms of falling inflation. But clearly this is a setback. It is not going to do anything to help in terms of the panic over mortgage rate rises in a way that I think some are hoping perhaps last time around was uh, a blip and this would calm things. Is not going to do that. You also have public debt. Debt has exceeded 100% of GDP. And... That also, uh, you go out to priorities, uh, there's a priority to ultimately reduce debt. And therefore, we're heading to a situation where things do just look very gloomy. You have Jeremy Hunt ultimately saying this morning that he is not going to change course if there are demands from the left or the right, which is effectively saying to his own party, we're sticking to our plan to get down inflation. Um, But that pressure will grow. Um, I think the government wants to stick to its guns on this. but I think politically we have a situation where I remember speaking to figures in government, you know, a month or so ago, and they said just before the the inflation report where it had fallen, 
but obviously not to the point that the market's expected and that's when the rates started to rise again. And it was just before that. And they said, oh, we think we might be heading now to, uh, you know, the period of things better news on the economy. <laughs> now we fast forward a month or so and it, it feels very much as so that's not come to pass. Kate, Rishi Sunak must have known when he made one of his flagship policies to reduce inflation. We spoke about this on the podcast before, that that was something that was in the Bank of England's control. Why has he done this to himself? That's a great question, Natasha. Not only did he make this pledge, but he's doubled down on it on so many occasions. He said that it's his personal responsibility if it doesn't have. Um, you know, he he's really committed to this. And as you say, government does not have the levers at its disposal. That's interest rates to really tackle inflation. That's the Bank of England, which has been very dovish and, and moved quite slowly, especially, especially compared to other central banks like the Federal Reserve. If you wanted to give the government credit, you could say this. Um, It recognizes that any kind of serious borrowing right now, a big spending pledge would uh, fuel inflation. And they are holding back on doing that. And you can see that around the mortgage crisis. You you know, you had um, Tory MPs yesterday saying to Jeremy Hunt, give some kind of mortgage relief, give some kind of tax credit. Well, that will ultimately cost the government money. Uh, And Jeremy Hunt's saying no, because that would uh, be inflationary and we have to tackle inflation. There does seem to be a broad agreement at the top of government right now that that remains the priority. And that's really difficult for a Tory government to to say, especially when we're we're talking about housing. Um, But, you know, these pledges were were really misleading to begin with. The one about getting debt falling, um, I think, was always very misleading because the fiscal rules to have that on a five-year rolling basis. So, um, you know, that was always going to be easy to fudge. But actually, as it turns out, not that easy to fudge. Um, Michael Simmons writes for Coffee House this morning on on the debt numbers and says that so far in 2023-2024, this is proving to be the fourth most expensive financial year on record after 2021, 2010, and 2011, which means it's more expensive this year than it was last year or 2020. I mean, we are now looking at such high spending So much of this is voluntary now, it's domestic, it's not COVID. That is surpassing years where we still were dealing with COVID. And, you know, I I do think that Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt have to take some responsibility for that. Kate, can we do a sneak preview of your cover piece? Because when I was reading it earlier... Sure, Katie. Glad we're all on board for this. Um, Your final line in the cover piece, which will be out on Thursday... Tomorrow. Just skip right to the end of the cover piece. <laughs> you don't need to read it. No, I'd highly recommend it. everyone reads the entire thing. But the final, the final paragraph, you have something in government ultimately suggesting there's still time. Um, ultimately, trying to bring back ninety-two comparisons. I wonder if you could, um, obviously, t- tell me just what, what exactly they said, but whether or not you buy that in terms of if you're looking ahead and you're Rishi Sunak looking at what's going to happen in the economy. And we know he is someone who likes to think of things, as he did in his banking days, as a long investment, uh, rather than getting too worried about the day-to-day movements. Is there any any hope to be found? Ooh, any hope to be found. Well, let's list out the negatives first, and then maybe I'll try to think of some hope on the way. One of the problems is that they've set themselves this arbitrary deadline of the end of the year for these pledges, which they didn't have to do because presumably we're not having an election in December 2023. I mean, yeah, I really I hope was, not. <laughs> I think it was so they could then change gear at the beginning of the year for the election. But of course, yeah. No, sure. And that, that makes sense from a political perspective if you can meet the targets. And so they've given themselves this sooner than necessary deadline of 
hitting targets that are actually proving quite tricky. Uh, basically, I, you know, I, I said to a minister, you know, the housing market overall is an absolute mess. But what about the mortgage crisis? And what about um, this nervousness and this panic? Can that be subdued by the time that we get to uh, next year? And they said, you know, it, of course it can be. You know, you can do a lot in 18 months. And I suppose you can. Here's the real difficulty. By the time we get to next year, people are only going to feel poor. Uh, we are not looking at any kind of growth figure. I haven't seen a single uh, forecast that would show meaningful growth in the UK, which means that inflation is just going to continue to eat into people's real wages. Interest rates are going to prove very painful for renters and homeowners alike. By the time we get into next year, even if the rate of inflation has fallen significantly, and that's a big if looking at the current trajectory, uh, prices are still going up and people are going to feel poorer. So uh, if you combine that with higher interest rates, next year is going to be pretty painful just as this year is. I suppose if the government wanted to get really crafty, we could start talking about some supply side reforms. But Katie, you know, you know uh, better than I do the political issues there and all the tensions within the Tory party that are making those kinds of changes really difficult. Well, Katie, Labour could be in government in a couple of years' time. Have they been saying anything about what policies they would push through? You have Rachel Reeves and Chris Starman talking about how they want the fastest growth in the G7. You go back to the green energy, the green job plan, which would require borrowing, not to the level they originally said, um, but definitely still quite a lot of borrowing. But I think probably more on cost of living, they're still not moving in terms of intervening in the mortgage market. And I think it's only... Um, were they to that the Rishi Sunak would be under more pressure. At the moment, it is just Jonathan Gullis and Jake Berry. And I think, as we probably said in the podcast, I don't think they are indicative of where the mainstream of the party is uh, right now. The problem is if things are going to get tougher to, and we start to ask for things, because I, ultimately it comes back to the fact Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt do not have a lot of money, even if they wanted to do something. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Katie. And thanks for listening.